100 Days Collective. This is Take Two. Is Take Two. Cheers. Mm-hmm. There you go. Logo. <laughs> <laughs> What's New York like? Um, New York is somewhere... The reason we've got we went over there is a whole different story. But in terms of us staying there and actually being there, I love it. Uh, yeah. The energy I get from a city, I kind of feel that like that's where I'm meant to be. The more people I'm around, mm. the more interaction I have, the more energy I get. It is a place that can swallow you up pretty quickly, and it's a place that you can be inspired by pretty quickly as well. So I love that about it. But um, I love real estate. That's why I'm here and. It is one of the real estate capitals of the world. So being there and seeing what's happening there is a great experience for me. Um, But because things are so big and perhaps so hard to get involved in, it also is very daunting as well. Mm. So it is a kind of a a challenge, but a challenge looking forward to and looking forward to see what I can do over there. Yeah. What was the culture shock for you like like moving from Dublin to New York? Uh, culture shock. Um, if there was one, let's put it that way. If there was one, I don't think it, it probably happened in New York. I think okay. culture shocks have happened over in America because of maybe going like further afield, like going like four or five hours out of America or outside New York, yeah. staying weekends in places like uh, kind of some of the culture shocks that I've noticed there. there. Yeah, outside, about four or five hours outside the city in terms of how kind of rural or how kind of like closed off some people are uh, compared to the city like it, there's a big difference between the vibrance and the culture and the mix within the city uh, within New York and you go five hours outside and there's a totally different frame of thought there's a totally different um, I suppose sense of reality in yeah. terms of where they might lean to left or right um, and what flags you might see stuck in people's gardens and all that kind of stuff so it, there is that they're the big culture shocks when you go outside the city yeah is it like disturbing sometimes um without insulting a nation it is sometimes it can be a little bit disturbing it's a little bit kind of you'd go wow like because you know the way you see it from the trump side and you see all that but like to see it just a few hours outside the city you go wow this is this is here and it's Mm -hmm. very close to the city like um and it is disturbing yeah yeah it's so weird right because obviously um when i moved from malta right I, i first moved to galway and looking at like america on the telly and all that kind of stuff like I, you, you know those Make America Great Again hats? Mm-hmm. It, that was like the phase of like Kanye wear, wearing it. Yeah. I remember just one time being on a bus and seeing this lad like wear a hat, I, the hat, which is like fine, you do you. But it was one of those things where I was like, oh my God, like it's, it's real. So I can only imagine what it's like in America, like sometimes like seeing not those hats, but like seeing more extremist like views or people, you're just like, oh, wow, like you do exist. You are surrounded by me. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to say something and people might not be too happy with it. But when I moved to Dublin, people were like, Deb, this is massive for you. It's like Europe's version of New York. <laughs> what do you have to say about that? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like zero chance. Like. Dublin is Dublin's tiny uh, compared to New York. Like in the city centre in Dublin, there is I'm not I'm not sure off the top of my head, but there's like two two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand people living in the kind of boroughs around New York. There's eight million people. It's a different animal altogether. It's not the same. Um, like the biggest thing 
I was I walked around town today. I was literally walking around town for five ten minutes. I bumped into two people I knew. Like I haven't been back here in a year and a bit. I bumped into two people I knew just as they were walking out of buildings or whatever, um, and that was in space of about five minutes of walking around the city. Um, New York, you could walk around for a year and not bump into anyone you know. And I think there's a big difference between. And I haven't lost it yet. I think a lot of people in New York walk around not expecting to see anyone. So they don't look where mm. they're actually, they don't look at people's faces. They just mind their own business and they talk really loud on the phone and you can hear people's conversations from all over the place. I don't understand why they do that, but yeah, they don't care right. what other people hear because they're not, they're not afraid that they'll bump into someone they actually know. But when you are in New York and you're coming from a place like Dublin and you do kind of keep an eye out across the street or whatever and you pay attention to people's faces because you will meet someone you know. Uh, strangely enough, I bumped into one or two people in New York that I have known by purely just walking down the street Crazy. and uh, in Central Park bumped into people. And I think that's just the mentality that I have because I have my eyes always looking because of living in Dublin city centre. Whereas like people I know who are from New York and have grown up there, they're like, how did you do that? Like you bumped into five or six people in a year. They're like, I haven't bumped into anyone I've known in like 10 years of living in the city. Like, and yeah. It's just a different mentality in terms of um, people being there and keeping an eye out for people where in, everyone in New York just laser focused on their own their own thing and what they're doing don't care what anyone else is doing either like so yeah, fair enough. but that's that's a big difference I see in, in New York and yeah. Dublin did you miss Dublin? Um, I miss parts of Dublin yeah Such there's I, like I miss some of like my local bars that I would have gone to on, you know, on Camden Street and that kind of thing I miss friends as well uh, but because I moved over just as lockdown was kind of happening and all that kind of stuff, I didn't feel like I was missing a huge mm-hmm. amount because still on WhatsApp groups with all my friends and seeing that they weren't able to go out and uh, no bars were open and anytime a bar did open, like it was only open till eight and there was all these restrictions and, and I suppose being in New York and those restrictions kind of lifted a long time ago, it was like, okay, well, I don't really miss it because there's nothing actually happening in Ireland and I don't feel I'm losing out. Whereas in New York, the city had started to move on. And I do have one or two friends that I've known from school that are in the city as well. So it was kind of nice to touch base with them as well. Yeah. So I didn't feel I was missing much. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And it was only kind of once we booked tickets to come back uh, that we decided that I started going, oh, yeah, this is what I need to do. I need to get on to I need to get into Devitts. I need to have a neon. I need to have a Bunsen, like all these kind of things that I was missing from New Yorkers haven't found anywhere that has the kind of same kind of street food that neon has in new york which i'm like there has it has to exist okay what's Uh, neon so there's a little kind of um uh place on camden street it's like an asian street food restaurant and i it's just something like because it's around the corner from where we were it's just something that i really like we'd have it once a week myself and christine and then bunsen as well there's okay. no burger place like Bunsen. They're all a little bit different. Wait, Bunsen's in Bunsen Dublin? the burger, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what this is. Wait, so that? Bunsen have about like five or six, maybe more restaurants. It's a takeaway. Oh, restaurants. Yeah, yeah okay. restaurant, burger restaurants. But it's just so simple that it's it's basically you can have a plain burger or you can have a burger with all the stuff all the yeah. stuff on it. And it's it's just easy and with chips and it's just something that like we've i've missed uh, being in new york so they're the two things i missed okay yeah. it's always the food yes it's food, yeah. always the food that's the one thing like look dublin i remember feeling so spoiled whenever like i scroll on deliveroo to the point where you're like holy shit there's so much i've struggled so hard with chinese food though 
besides uh, what you call it, Zion. Yeah. Man, the other day, when was it? Some fucking munch box, but it was horrible. They served it in a pizza box, right? And they just put spicy, like imagine just your hungover as shit, right, Jane? You open it up and then you just look at spring rolls covered in spice bag seasoning. Yeah. And dump it every all oh, tastes like toenails. <laughs> Don't even know the place. Anyways, um, so I brought you here about the hu- housing crisis. Yes. And I was telling you before that I'm a little bit nervous about this one. And the reason why is because I feel like it's such like a massive debate, debate or point of discussion. I think the general feel is that everyone is just hopeless. Um, specifically, younger people. Mm-hmm. Now, considering that you are one person that's like literally picked up and moved as well, a lot of people in their like twenties say, "Hey, they say that Ireland is just not good for young people in general." But mm. a lot of them say, "I can't. There's no hope for me to find a place over here to own a home here. I'm better off leaving." What do you think about that statement or that mentality? Probably. I I, I suppose there's there's a number of things to kind of unpack there. Um, one, just from my own personal point of view, uh, I always was planning to stay in Ireland. I still am coming back to Ireland soon enough. Uh, the reason we went over was because of my wife and family reasons, and it was uh, her mum passed away. So we decided we wanted to spend more time with her side of the family Definitely. before we actually properly settled down. So it had no kind of economic bearing in terms of why we, 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 why do we decided to go out there originally. However, being there for about a year, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind spending a little bit more time here. And um, that, w- that was a little bit of a decision we made after we got there, uh, that we would make the decision to stay out a little bit longer. And some of that is coming down to perhaps um, an economic point of view in terms of opportunities might be better for us there. Um, not that there's no opportunities here, but we kind of maybe they're greater. Uh, there's much greater risk, though. There's much greater cost in living in New York. and uh, But we feel maybe the rewards are a little bit better. So it's coming down to kind of a risk-reward kind of factor that we have chosen to kind of maybe stay there for another year or so. Um, but in terms of people living in the city or living in Dublin or Ireland, um, considering moving abroad if they're young people, like... To be honest, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think people should go out and experience elsewhere. Hence, where you're in Ireland, like <laughs> yeah. like there's you should do that. I don't think exactly. there's uh, there's anything wrong with that. Um, in terms of owning a property as your motivation, I don't think that should be your motivation to decide to pick up and leave Ireland. Like there's lots of job opportunities in Ireland, perhaps more in Ireland than there is in in other locations around the world. Uh, the property crisis in Ireland is not unique to Ireland. It is in every single country in the world nearly. And anywhere that you would like to go, particularly as an English speaking person, if you are leaving Ireland to go to an English speaking uh, country, uh, there is gonna be uh, issues uh, with you owning property or even renting property. So it's not unique. I would say that when we arrived in New York uh, just over a year ago, it was extremely easy to get um, rental accommodation at that point in time. And people were offering rent freeze of two, three months. Um, but a big difference between New York and Ireland is the rental market can increase in the vast majority of properties based on the market every year. So there's none of this kind of cap of 2% or 4% here in Ireland. And therefore, your rent could go from two grand 
back when lockdown was happening in New York, right up to like six grand now because sure. there has been a jump because everyone has flooded back to the city. Mm. So because everyone has flooded back to the city, there's huge rental increases um, up to like 100% in the last kind of year, where in Ireland, there has been rental increases perhaps on the market by about 14 or 15% in the last year. But New York has probably gone up by 100 plus percent. Uh, and that's happened in lots of other locations around the world. So I wouldn't make, if it was me personally, I if I was going away, it would be to get experience gain knowledge, gain uh, gain uh, uh, an experience of the world. Uh, but I wouldn't be making that decision on the basis that I can't buy a property, yeah. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I say that to a lot of people, actually. I, it's one of those things that, look, rent is expensive. I, I think you just put hit the nail on the head with an English-speaking country. That's the fact. Like, yes, you can live in Bali right now, paying a villa for 400 euros a month, for example, with a pool. But you're in Bali, you're yeah. not in like, as in there's like different, like it's quality of life as well to a certain extent. You know what I mean? When it comes to like opportunities, right? I was looking at it like recently enough anyways, and it's as if people just constantly say Ireland's a shithole, Ireland's a kip. It's not. But do you think that this is just like a mindset that probably... I don't want to sound degrading whatsoever, but like maybe it's like a youth thing that they will eventually um, grow out of nearly, or it's until they leave and see it worse that then they come back. And come I, I don't think it's till they leave and come back. And I don't even think the mindset can be changed. If people sometimes have that oh. mindset, they really have to kind of work on themselves to get out of that mindset, yeah. to, to see the opportunities that are there. Um, I actually saw an, an article from the New Yorker in the 1979 that was this generation has is the worst generation ever. I can imagine. This is not the first time yeah. this has happened. This happens every generation. <laughs> Go back to the 20s, 30s, for every uh, group of 20 year olds coming out coming out of school or coming out of college always think they have it worse than their the last generation and perhaps that is the case uh, right now with the current generation from 20 year olds coming out looking to maybe rent or buy uh, a property um compared to their parents generation perhaps they do have it worse it is tough, yeah. uh, and th- there's no doubt it is harder to get uh, on the property ladder now than it might have been um, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, or 40 years ago. There's no doubt about that. But in terms of the opportunities people have, I I have an opportunity to run my business from my mobile phone. Mm. 20 years ago, there is zero chance I would have been able to do that. I have an opportunity to create apps or do things that past generations never had. And I think people need to start thinking about the opportunities that they actually have in front of them rather than the lack of opportunities that they have. Um, that's just my mindset. I always try to look at things from a positive point of view and go, well, if this is an issue or this is a problem, where is the opportunity? Where is where? How can you take advantage of this? What what way can you make your 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 own circumstances better? And I think um, I'm I, I'm dyslexic, so school was quite hard for me. I struggled in school, and I never really liked school. Uh, and I always kind of had a problem with like writing and now I'm, I have my own business I send emails letters all the time I do lots of stuff that without the kind of aid of technology I wouldn't be able to do that or I, perhaps yeah. I would be able to do it but I wouldn't have the kind of confidence 
to go out and start my own business and run my own business. So I think the opportunities, I wouldn't swap the opportunities. I wouldn't swap the generation between mine and my parents. I much prefer no. to be where I am right now. Uh, granted, I'm probably 10, 15 years older than yourself and maybe a little bit more. But like, I even if I'm looking back, like when I finished college, I, I did have about two or three years of boom uh, before oh, yeah. the crash happened. So I did have one or two years of boom. And looking back at that, I was like, yeah, I thought like this was this was golden. This was easy. And then the crash happens and you have to kind of uh, relook at everything. So I myself personally came out of college, had two or three good years, but then the boom or sorry, the crash happened and it was impossible, particularly to work in property. I did manage to kind of stay in property, but a lot of people who were working in property at the time went elsewhere, immigrated and all that kind of stuff. But I managed to stay involved in property uh, but took massive pay cuts, took like didn't have the opportunities that I thought I would have. And then as I set up a business, I set up a business about six years ago, things were moving quite well over the last few years and then COVID hits. So I've gone through, like at the start of my career, gone through a, a massive crash. And then just as things are starting to go well in terms of running a business, uh, COVID hits. But like, I've never kind of gone, okay, well, my generation has such bad luck or whatever. Like, I feel like, look, it just happens. Just roll with the punches. These punches probably happen way more often than they used to from a from a history point of view because we're just way more open from an economy uh, and a globe. So I think I just look at the opportunities rather than the negatives. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You have to. It's interesting that you had two or three years of um, the boom when you first graduated. What was that like for you? Um I, I'm not sure if it was a benefit or a negative. I um, can imagine, yeah. Because coming out in that kind of a, like it, when everything is so easy to get a job, it's so easy to get a job. I went in a uh, graduate level six months later, I was promoted and six months later oh. promoted again. And like within a space of three or four years, your salary has gone up by like, you've three or four extra salary in like three or four easy. years. And then, the, and because it's happening so quickly, Actually, one of the biggest things you don't do is you don't save because you're like, sure, my paycheck in like in three months time is going to be bigger than what I'll save now. So like, it's just kind of like that bad mentality that you get into. And also you didn't need to save because when I was in, when I just came out of college, you could actually get a hundred percent mortgage. So you didn't have to save. Uh, so you were like, as long as you're, if you just focused on your salary growing, yeah. that would actually make it, make it easier for you to borrow more. So it didn't actually mean you need to save. All you need to do was focus on your actual baseline salary growing. Yeah. And if you could do, if you get an increase every six months, that meant more you could borrow. So yeah. it was far better than saving, which looking back was a really negative thing to do. Um, what was the silliest thing you bought for yourself in hindsight? In hindsight, I bought, when I was young, I bought myself one or two nice cars. Like Did I you? bought myself a nice BMW early, like really young, way too young. Um, so that was probably didn't need that definitely didn't need that <laughs> sold it immediately afterwards or something or did you stick around with it i stuck around for for a while but then it yeah. actually got too costly to actually maintain it. maintain it yeah um i don't i can't quite remember um when i sold that or what came about to sell it <laughs> but yeah i eventually got rid of it yeah yeah that's crazy uh, but that was probably like something i definitely didn't need yeah. <laughs> but like fair enough you get it though i don't I graduated in November 2019, yeah. so March 2020 is when. So, 
like very different kind of like scenarios anyways Mm -hmm. but i understand like fair enough though i don't know how i would have dealt with it if uh, like the disappointment when once i graduated in like figuring out like holy shit i've been lied to like no one wants to hire me basically like that was really tough right Mm -hmm. but i can only imagine what it would have felt like if the roles were reversed and the world was handed to me at such a young age and then it being taken away from me after like two or three years yeah well it's it's definitely damages people confidence most definitely like and i think there's some people who maybe came out of college like a similar time like finished college like three or four years later and they would have come into like a very tough job market and they're probably doing better now because they're they're actually didn't get into that mindset and they 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 knew they had to struggle to get to where they they were like um it is it is definitely something looking back on like yeah that was great to have i learned loads but maybe i shouldn't have (laughs) been so um cocky uh because it does it does take uh when you when you get that kind of when the when the economy crashes and everyone's losing their jobs and stuff like that it is it's not and you're you're first on the chopping block because you're the first people that they can cut easily the last last in Mm -hmm. or first out all that kind of mentality quite a lot happened like and that's just the way a lot of businesses operate so it was that kind of age group that really suffered and a lot of my friends went to um, Australia at that point so a lot of people left and you kind of have a handful of people still in Ireland and a handful of people in Australia and you go like well what do I do do I stay here I, I was kind of already had started a kind of a career and I was like I want to this is what I want to do like um but I I had kind of gone into where I had started to work I started working for a Tesco within their property department okay. and I gained so much experience like a lot of my friends from college uh, would have gone into like some of the agencies like CBRE and Savile and jo- Jones Lang some of the commercial agencies I, I really wanted to get into somewhere where I'd actually learn about real estate from a business point of view and how they operate from developing stuff out and building stuff and site selection and all that kind of stuff. So I was like much more interested in that side of the business. But I always had the view that I'd work there for two, three years, get enough experience, get chartered and go out and set up my own business. So Mm. it was around the time when I was thinking about setting up my own business that I was starting to notice that like actually things were crazy people are spending way too much money and it's too much of a risk to actually go out on your own at that stage so luckily enough I didn't okay. um, but then when the crash happened you're like well I'm not taking the risk to go out on my own now and set up my own business yeah. when everything's falling down <laughs> around you like so um, crazy but it is it is it is kind of um, a learning curve no Definitely. matter what way when, whenever you come out of college if it's a boom or it's a bust, like you, you, you will learn from it. <laughs> yeah, they should hand on like little manuals, uh, manuals to everyone, just being like, "Okay, you're up, you're done. Congrats. Here you go." Um, when it came to the Celtic Tiger, what was the property market like at that time? Because he said one hundred percent mortgages. Yeah, that's like if I could get my rent, like the money that I pay for rent right now and put it in a mortgage I'd be living like in a really sexy place <laughs> like honestly <laughs> and I'm like sometimes I'm like ah oh, fuck man but you get it what was the property market like at well the, the, time? Pro- the property market was booming um people could get mortgages for um to buy houses uh, at a hundred percent there was even some I think it was friends first who are no longer around but have been rebranded as something else but um 
they were offering like 105% mortgages. So 110% mortgages. So it was enough money for you to buy your house, furnish your house, and maybe buy a car as well. Uh, it was just, it was crazy uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so people were taking, uh, were taking that opportunity up. And then like immediately they were buying the house. And I suppose if you take 105% or 110% mortgage, you're automatically in negative equity. You are. But people never even thought about negative equity or never, that word really wasn't on people's vocabulary at, at that at that point in time. Um, I was mainly on the commercial side of stuff, um, and I saw a lot of people who were bidding on sites to redevelop sites and build out, um, particularly like the likes of like uh, down in Balls Bridge and Donningbrook, there were sites for selling for hundreds of millions per acre, which was the same price as New York uh, mm-hmm. real estate was going in terms of per acre, and you're like, how is Dublin price per acre at a hundred odd million the same as you'd buy uh, an acre in New York? It just made no sense to me. I was out of, like a, two or three years out of college and I was like scratching my head going, this doesn't make any sense. But so it, was, it wasn't cheap at the time, right? It was not cheap at the okay. time. Um, but it was, it was extremely expensive from a global point of view, or okay. Dublin was and Ireland was. And you had lots of builders and developers bidding on sites. One of the biggest issues was that you didn't have, we have foreign money coming into the country right now, but at the time you had no foreign money coming into the country. I see. So it was all being lent by Irish banks, Anglo, AIB, Bank of Ireland, and some building societies were all lending major money to these developers to buy this land. And something that kind of came up when I was about a year or two out of college, and we started to notice it, particularly from working in Tesco, was there was no international buyers and no international developers. And it kind of like kind of started to scare me a little bit because I was like, if there's no one coming in to buy internationally and everyone internationally sees Ireland as way overpriced, they know what's going on. But us in our little bubble didn't know what was going on. And I started to notice that like early on that like there's no international bidding happening on any on any uh, office block or any major development. It's all uh, it, Irish-based companies uh, bidding against each other. And what was happening was AIB were giving a loan to one developer, but at the same time, they were also giving a loan to another developer and allowing both of them bid on the same site. So they were, and Anglo were the same. So there might be three or four developers that they might be working for. Three or four of those developers went not knowing uh, that they were all going for the same site, but they were AIB or Anglo-Irish Bank were supporting all of them. So they didn't care. The bank didn't care who won the bid in the end of the day. I see. And because so many of them were bidding each other up, getting 100% more mortgages and loans from the banks, uh, it just fuels this amount. Because if, if there was an unendless supply of money coming from these banks, these developers were bidding against each other and the banks didn't realize that they were kind of throwing everyone against each other. And at the end of the day, they were left with the, the bill. And I suppose the taxpayer and NAMA were left with the bill a little bit too. Yeah. Um, so it was fueled internally, um, and looking back at it, I kind of see that as a warning sign. If foreign investment is not coming into Ireland and stops coming into Ireland, then it's, then the rest of the world will kind of see Ireland as way overpriced. And uh, I kind of feel that if that happens now, or mm. if that happens in the future you'd kind of go, okay, well, now is the time to sell yeah. or now is the time not to buy, yeah. Okay. Do you think that... Uh, I'm not sure about 
banks because again i have no knowledge about like the banking industry anyways but after that when the crash happened and now x amount of years later do you think that ireland learned their lesson considering the property market right now because you said foreign money now i wouldn't know and this is going to be a completely different section with the investment funds right that's foreign money technically mostly yeah mostly Yeah. yeah Do you think they they learned their lesson or they're going from one extreme to another? Um, I think the banks learned their lesson and they probably uh, learned their lesson too harshly. And <laughs> because they've learned their lesson too harshly, they're allowing uh, opportunities go to international banks and international investment funds okay. because they're not lending. So um, it's extremely difficult. Like so, so Irish banks, you go to an Irish bank as an individual uh, looking to buy a house. That's fine. You can go there. They've set the rules by the central bank in terms of you have to have your 10% uh, deposit if you're a first-time buyer, 20% if you're a second-hand buyer, and you have to have uh, an income of 3.4 or 3.5% uh, of what you're looking to borrow. And there is some cases that you can get exemptions up to uh, 4.5%. Okay, and so, I'm going to stop you there. Is that achievable in your eyes? Um, in Dublin, for a lot of people, probably not, no. And in but, Ireland? But in Ireland, yes. Like if you were willing to go outside of Dublin, uh, there are there would be people, particularly if it's a couple. If it's an individual, single person, it's far far harder. But if you a couple who are working, um, and three uh, three and a half times their income or four and a half times their income, it's possible. It's they're not going to get the best location, yeah. but it, they might be an hour away or an hour and a half away. But it is possible. And if you were to bring it into Dublin or closer to Dublin, you're probably looking at a much smaller property, um, one beds or, or okay. less. or one be- So it's not it's not massively achievable unless you have like a decent savings um, or, or something mm-hmm. else to kind of help you. But from the bank's point of view, in terms of the commercial side of things, in terms of uh, providing uh, capital for development, for housing development, providing it for investment, uh, they have really, the Irish banks have really pulled out of the market um, they might provide some funding to some very, very big uh, developers, uh, but generally speaking, they're not providing funding for the people who are building 10 houses or people who are building like 50 or 20 houses. They're just not doing it. Uh, they see it as too big of a risk. And therefore, that has opened up opportunities for international people to come in uh, and take advantage, of that, take advantage of the Irish banks not lending at all. Okay. And in terms of this, right, so... It's the Koku funds, right? I'm looking at my notes. I want to pronounce it correctly. Koku? Koku? I think it's... Koku. 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 Yeah, like the bird. Like bird. Yeah, So, or vulture funds. Yeah, or investment funds. Yeah. So there's that. And I was reading up about them, right? And they seem fairly... Not even extreme, right? But... nearly unfair in the sense of like how is a regular person like a middle class person supposed to not even compete with that but like keep up with that yeah and uh, being in working in the real estate market or like the property market what is like what are landlords saying right now well private individual landlords are all leaving the market they're okay. selling up in, in, in thousands per year. 
And they're uh, evicting their tenants, right? In most cases, they will probably look to uh, sell with a, va- with a vacant property, yeah. And yeah. One, one of the reasons, there's a handful of reasons you can ask a tenant to vacate. One, if you need the property for a family member. Uh, two, if you are looking to do major refurbishment to the property, uh, because like for whatever reason, it needs to be gutted and insulation or is mold or whatever reason they might want to uh, refurbish. Um, third reason is if you're going to sell it and there is a fourth reason if the property becomes uh, unhabitable like for like say a, a roof blew off or whatever yeah. like there is a you can ask them to leave, leave while that work happens um, there is there is some talk of, about removing the option if you uh, to sell it so if you're looking so there is talk some political parties are talking about uh, removing that option um, and I think some charity funds have asked for that option to be removed as well that will have a consequence for the landlord because generally speaking, if they sell it with a tenant in place, they can only sell it to another investor. And the because only an investor is gonna buy a property with a tenant in it, uh, you yes. won't get a mortgage. Uh, you personally wouldn't get a mortgage for a property that, um, that has a tenant in it. So it only applies to investors. So it's one landlord going to another landlord. And there's a lot of landlords who are leaving at the moment. And if there is a rent in place at a certain, say it's a thousand a month or 2000 a month, um, that might be way below the actual market rent and therefore uh, the property will sell way below the market in terms of what it's valued at on the open market. If it's so vacant, uh, it, you can buy it as an, as an owner-occupier or an investor can buy it. So you're, you open up the market and therefore you'll likely achieve more, hence why uh, landlords would prefer to sell with vacant possession. Now, obviously, I... I feel like with the media, right, there's always those like really scary landlord stories when it comes to like they evicted the tenant, the tenant moves by like uh, X amount of months later and the place is still the same, that sort of shit. Yeah. Which you can't question, I'm sure, happened, but there's bad landlords and there's good landlords and unfortunately, usually the bad landlords are the ones that get the bad press. When it comes to these vulture funds, right, see... uh, you were there to witness this start to happen. What was like the major like point of concern for you, for you people? So the vulture funds. Um, you can explain them if you want. Yeah. As well. So they're, they're they're like it is a, a media term or is is a, a coin of phrase, but like I do think that there are some funds out there that are vulture funds and are quite happily to be known as vulture funds, and a lot of them came in. Uh, when when the government set up NAMA and NAMA took all the all the loans off the banks, uh, all the property loans off the banks and put them into NAMA, NAMA had to start selling those uh, loans to the open market. Uh, they were selling those loans in batches of like one billion to three billion. There was no one in Ireland who was able to go. Well, I'll buy a batch of loans off you for one billion. No one could do that. Yeah. Uh, so basically, they opened it up to the international market. Um, at that stage, what you would class or what I'd probably class as vulture funds came into the market. They were given uh, good deals in terms of any capital gains that they have over a few years. They, they wouldn't have to pay capital gains. On, if the properties had gone up in value or the loans had gone up in value, they wouldn't have to pay any capital gains on those. Uh, so a lot of vulture funds came in, bought a, a, a loan book of a, a billion, three billion or whatever it was. They took it in. And they slowly managed it and they maybe divided it up into smaller sections and okay. they sold them off 
in smaller sections to landlords who might be able to, or investors who might be able to take a million here or 100 million here or 100 million here or 50 million here. And they, they, they basically made their money by taking one large portfolio and then splitting it up into different groups. So they might've split it up into, here's a group of hotels, we'll sell that to this person. Here's a group of residential units, we'll sell that to this person. I see. And then, or, and here's a bunch of mortgages, we'll sell that to someone else. Okay. Um, so that's what they did. And they came in and they, uh, I suppose the vulture element of it is you're scraping the carcass and you're, okay. you're, you're giving out, you're, you're making money by taking in one kind of carcass and splitting it up and trying to make money out of that. They 100% came in uh, early days, probably around, uh, were very active around 2012, um, maybe a little bit early, maybe 2011 to probably 2000, maybe 16, they were very active. Um, but the funds that have come in since, uh, they're generally large um, international uh, property funds that don't tend to sell. Uh, they okay. may sell, but they may sell to another um, another kind of large property investment fund. They are coming in for long term holds. They're not coming in. They're not coming into Ireland for here's an asset. We'll 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 slice it up and we'll we'll be out of here in two or three years. They're not doing that. They're coming in. They're setting up uh, heads of office. They're setting up a team here to manage apartment blocks, to manage office blocks, uh, and they're looking at it. Their strategy would be ten to fifteen to twenty years or. 100 years their strategy mm-hmm. might be so i wouldn't classify them as vulture funds okay. but there will be people who will class them all together in one kind of uh, group um just yeah. just because they're international funds but i think their psyche or their mindset from a business point of view is far different than a, a large fund coming in and buying a massive loan book of a few billion um and then splitting it up like okay. that is a vulture fund the fact that they're called cuckoo funds or whatever, I think this is just yeah. the press or whoever. That's Fair not enough. what they like. They do serve a purpose. They're they're generally in most countries around the world. Like uh, okay. they they do serve a purpose from the build to rent point of view in terms of tenants actually living there. And if they sell their block, they don't kick their tenants out. I see. So if they were to say if they have a block of a hundred units, they have a hundred tenants in there. They sell it to another uh, fund. Those tenants probably don't even know that they've just be, that it's just sold. Mm. Whereas if you have a small landlord, they will look, ask you to vacate. Yeah. yeah. But when they're putting the, these properties up for rent, would you say that this is something affordable? Um, for the average person, probably not. But they're not probably. I I I think what they have built now or what they've done now, they're probably going after the high earner, um, the the high tech earner uh, coming into Ireland or Irish people working in tech around those kind of vicinities, mm-hmm. um, and that's what they've built to date or what they've acquired to date. I think there will be a point where that market will be saturated by those built to rent uh, operators, and they will move down uh, for slightly more affordable and less luxurious properties um but they're that's what they they'll eventually tear down to Mm -hmm. because it's one of those things right when like i i understand rental property increasing I, i i get it but the weird thing right is that you understand that high earners want to live a more luxurious lifestyle fair enough but it's nearly as if rent is just like for shitty properties are also going up and 
fair enough, the market is the market. But then you're like, oi, the bed is next to the fucking toilet. Mm. Explain to me why the fuck this is 1,600 a month. Yeah. What's the crack with that? Well, like, realistically, that shouldn't happen. And realistically, if there was more uh, rental accommodation in the market, no one would live in those places. And that, that landlord wouldn't have the opportunity to actually do that. I see. The biggest issue is the lack of supply. Uh, there's only a few hundred apartments available or houses available in Dublin at the moment. That's a massive issue for a city mm. of this size. Um, if there wasn't all these landlords leaving, like there's, there, I think it's 15 or 16,000, maybe probably nearly 20,000 landlords have left the market in the last kind of three to four years. And that's, that's, that's properties that are no longer available to rent anymore. And they are fair enough sold into the owner-occupier market, so there is they're they're going to owner-occupiers, but they're, it means from a rental point of view, there's far less properties available, and there's a number of reasons why landlords are leaving. Uh, they're leaving because they're taxed at their marginal rate. So if they're high earners themselves, any rent that they get is taxed at fifty odd percent. Um, so they're being taxed at fifty odd percent as an individual if they hold a property. And there's a lot of stuff that they can't write off against their their um, actual tax liability there. And a lot of times, if they have a mortgage on that property um, and they're paying a mortgage and they're being taxed at 50%, they're not making any money. In a lot of cases, they could be putting two or 300 quid per year into that property after they've paid all their tax, tax and everything else. That's crazy. So they're leaving the market because they're taxed too high. So... Can I say this? Let's say if I worked my ass off, right? And I managed to save up to buy this property. Mm-hmm. If I want to rent it out, you're saying that it's not a, technically, it's not really a good decision, like money wise for me. Like I'm going to like suffer from it and it's going to be a burden. Therefore, I am better off selling this property again afterwards. Yeah, in a lot of cases, yeah. And because this is like a local landlord. Local landlord, yeah. So yeah. If, a, if a local landlord has a mortgage on the property, yeah. he's paying like a, like paying a thousand euro a month. He's getting say he's getting two thousand a month for the, the for the property. He's paying a thousand in his mortgage. Uh, he's getting taxed the majority of the rest of that. Then he'll have property tax, local property tax. He'll have, if it's an apartment, he'll have service charge and repairs, letting fees, management fees, everything else that goes into it. Uh, there's a lot of cases where that landlord is not making any money on a yearly basis. The reason you might do it, and you might do it, is you go, you might say to yourself, okay, well, in 20 years' time or 25 years' time, uh, the mortgage will be paid off, and I will have, and hopefully the property will have gone up in value over those 20 years, and generally property will go up in value uh, over the long term. That in in 20 years' time, you have you have an asset. So you'd have to look at it from a long-term point of view. But from a short-term cash point of view, you are probably not making a a lot of money. Granted, there are some landlords out there that like if they're doing Airbnb or service departments or something else, that they can make a little bit more money, uh, Mm. but they're still being taxed on that as well at a very high rate. Isn't that a little bit fucked up? Yeah, well, it, it's kind of... Not long-term, short-term, I'm saying. So it, short-term it is driving a lot of landlords out of the market. Okay. Like a lot of landlords are getting out of the market. Um, and because they're getting out of the market, it is leading to a lack of supply, which is pushing the rents up. I see. Um, it's also leading to the any stock that's coming onto the market is this new uh, 
bill to rent that is extremely high priced. And so, are those guys paying tax on it? So those guys, it will depend on who they are uh, and how they've set it up. But ultimately, there will be some sort of tax paid at some point, depending okay. on what it is. So like, and it depends on who they are and where they're registered. Uh, there is a kind of a thing about kind of these funds not paying any tax, but they're, they're set up in, in a structure for the fund itself not to pay any tax. Similar if you have a pension, you don't pay any tax on your pension. So if you were to put money into your pension and that pension was to make money year on year, you don't pay any any uh, tax on that until you draw it down when you're 65 or whatever age you draw it down, and then you'll start to pay tax. But that has been allowed to build up over 20, 30 years without you ever paying tax. So a lot of these funds are set up from a pension point of view or a similar kind of structure. So the fund or the owner of the property don't actually pay tax itself, but when they when they split out the dividends or the rents to the owners or the shareholders, they will pay tax on on that um, on that income. So they'll okay. pay tax on a dividend, or they'll pay tax when they sell uh, the property, or whatever way their shares are structured. Yeah. But there will, at some stage, someone will pay tax. But they're set up in structures like uh, a pension fund. You as an individual. Uh, can buy property through your pension fund and do it the same way and as long as you don't touch that for years all that money and all that rent that comes in you never are taxed on it okay. um, so as an individual you can do it it is complicated to, to set it up it's not it easy so but it, it, it is possible for the individual to also yeah get around these loopholes because it's all set up from a tax pension point of view in a lot of cases like if you look at a lot of the irish investors who are bought into these properties in ireland these built to rent properties it's irish life it's uh, it, like they are pension funds they are our pension funds they're guard or pension funds or teachers pension funds that all are invested in these and they're not paying any tax on these because they're a pension fund mm. um, and then ultimately when they draw down the, those pensions or split those pensions out to the individuals that's who will eventually pay tax, but it's 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 set up in such a way that the the owner or the the name of the landlord isn't paying tax. But once they start taking that money out and giving it to shareholders, they will they will be taxed in different different mechanics. I see. Yeah. Now, a lot of people say that the TDs have a little bit of a conflict of interest, considering not all of them obviously, but some of them are landlords. From a political point of view, how do you think Irish politicians are handling the housing cri- crisis? Dare I say a crisis right now? Yeah, it is a crisis. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps crisis is, is, is bandied around too much in terms of uh, things, but yeah. I think there is a crisis. Yeah. 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 Uh, how are they dealing with it right now? Because everyone I talk to, literally no one is happy about this. Yeah, so from TDs being landlords, like uh, a lot of the TDs are landlords. Um, but when you boil that, when you actually go into that list and look to see who Sorry. who actually are landlords, there's only a handful of them. There's maybe yeah. 10, 15%. One in five. That are actually realistically landlords yeah. uh, that are making money out of out of property. Like um, I looked at the list. Um, I actually have a relative, an uncle who is a TD and uh, he was... Let's not talk shit about him. Yeah, he was <laughs> He was in the news there a few weeks ago for giving bad advice. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> but um, I, I remember looking at the list. I, I know him all my life. I, yeah. and I, uh, so I know like his situation and um, 
I remember looking down the list and he was down as one of the landlords. And okay. I was like, that's, he's not a landlord. I see. And then I was like, well, and then I dug deeper and I found out what the property was. So they do have a second property, but it was his wife's mother's um, oh. tiny little corner shop that hadn't been used in 20 years, that is worth nothing down in the middle of nowhere. But because they had this as a second property, they were down as landlords. This was okay. probably a liability to them. And when you look down the list, a lot of these TDs who are down as landlords, it's a family farm. It's it's something else that they have their, their, they have their home, perhaps where they're living, but they, they also have a family farm. And I, I don't think that's the kind of people we need to be worried about no. not, not making decisions for the Irish people in terms of um, landlords um, in terms of a conflict of interest if you are a private individual as a landlord and you are TD you, you're taxing yourself at 50 odd percent that doesn't make any sense like yeah. so therefore uh, you're not really no, nothing in at the moment is benefiting you as a TD if you are mm-hmm. a landlord it's actually working against you and that's why a lot of private landlords are leaving because it's it's set up the system is set up against them at the moment. And, and it's set why up in, is it <laughs> like that? I'll be honest with you now because it's just one of those things, and we'll tap into affordability. But it's you kind of said it as well. It's as if it's targeted to like it's as if they just want to help the high earner, which is fair enough. I'm like I don't want to just be shitting on people because they're rich, like. If you're rich and you're self-made, fucking well done to you. It's just mm. one of those things. But why help the high earner so much or the like low class that like really need the help? It's not a question like that they don't need the help. They do need it. But there's this massive chunk of people in between, mm-hmm. landlords included, that are just essentially screwed. Some can't afford property. And some have property and aren't making jack shit off of it unless they wait for 20 years. So life is long, mm-hmm. but like you can get hit by a bus any day, at least if you can pay and like give yourself a little ribeye steak with nice like chunky chips and feed your family. That would be nice. Um, I think uh, you said at the start our previous question in terms of like a conflict of interest for uh, TDs. Yeah, is it lobbying? Uh, um, I don't think the conflict of interest is to do with with a TD being a landlord, uh, even if they have 20 properties. I don't think that's the conflict of interest. I actually think the conflict of interest is where they get their votes. Um, and where they get their votes is their local constituency. Um, and they are making decisions on a national level uh, or not making decisions on a national level to make sure that they get votes at a local constituency level. That is the biggest issue I think we have from an Irish po- political point of view and moving along national issues because every politician knows that if they do something that their current local voters uh, do not agree with, uh, they won't get voted in the next time. That's the biggest conflict of interest. So in terms of a housing market, your, your current votes are coming from people who are living in your area and are happy living in your area. If you go ahead and decide to support a major development for major housing, for perhaps increased height or whatever, you might actually annoy your current voters who are who might get upset with uh, too many people moving into their town, too many people on the roads, all the construction activity, everything else that goes along with, with development. And perhaps all these new people that come into that area 
may not actually be your your voting party. So if they come in and they're perhaps like higher valued properties or whatever, you might go, well, they don't tend to vote for our party and therefore that's not the kind of people we want here in our area as a TD. And they are, so they are consistently um, objecting to housing developments because they're getting their votes from people who already live there. They're mm-hmm. not getting their votes from people who don't live there at the moment. So there's a huge conflict of interest in terms of how they support housing versus how they might get votes in five years' time. And I think that's a major issue that has led us, uh, one of the major issues of why, why we're in this situation okay. is because local TDs are not supporting new local housing. They constantly object to it, uh, and that's the biggest conflict of interest. Yeah. It is actually fairly scary as well when you just... Look, not even look at certain developments but like w- would you nearly say that when it comes to local developments it's always a focus on social housing right now i think some parties yeah focus on social housing um i think so there there's a kind of a, a miss i think there's a little misunderstanding as well of how housing and, and how planning works uh in in ireland so from a national level, um, there is kind of there is national kind of guidelines and there's national kind of strategic plans and all sorts of things that um, they do from a national point of view. But each local county council have their own development plan and they publish a development plan every six years, generally speaking, every six years. And they'll outline where they want housing mm-hmm. or where they want businesses in terms of industrial work. And they'll go, this is what we... Or they'll outline their road projects or their rail projects or whatever like that. They are the ones who ultimately control where housing happens or where housing doesn't happen. And a huge amount of um, local governments can actually restrict the amount of housing that actually happens within a certain area. And even if the national government say, we want housing and we're giving X amount to housing and we're making it easier for housing, a huge amount can be blocked at local level. Mm. And uh, the government a few years ago did try to introduce... a scheme called the strategic, or was it just strategic housing development plan, okay. which basically meant that if you had a site, uh, a development site, that you uh, ha- were going to build more than a hundred uh, ret- or more than a hundred residential units, you didn't have to p- apply for planning permission with the local council. So therefore, we were going to make it faster for you. Like if you uh, okay. if you have a hundred houses that you're going to build on your site, you don't have to go to your local council. All you have to do is go to Onboard Panola, and if Onboard Panola, which are a national uh, planning authority, if they say yes, you can go ahead and build. However, and everyone thought that would fast track properties onto the market and fast track construction uh, and make it easy for developers to get planning permission and build. What actually happened was. Um, councils decided to take anytime they uh, an approval happened like that councils decided to take uh, the developer to court and tied them up in court for years and are continuously tying them up in court on what basis on the basis that they they'll come up with all sorts of reasons like is it like a NIMBY like not in my backyard a, li- a lot like that yeah not okay. in my backyard a huge amount about not in my backyard and it, like Dublin City Council I might be wrong in exact numbers here, but the last time I saw it was probably about a year ago. They had spent eight million on legal and planning fees fighting against new housing. Wow. So the council themselves 
had spent eight million fighting against these strategic uh, housing development plans. Taxpayer money. Taxpayer money. And again, kind of goes back to what you were saying about local supply. Yeah. So start, they were deliberately stopping housing happening and they spent eight odd million on it, on fee, legal fees, fighting these in court. Fucking hell. So the crisis is so a long time coming. It's literally as if it's kind of like a self-sabotaging thing. Right? Well, there, there will be people, um, I bu- I'd buy into it a little bit, but there will be people, uh, and I know who your listeners might be, but like, there will be people who would consider it that some political parties have sabotaged deliberately to create a crisis. And if you create a crisis, you create villains, and uh, those villains are... Call them out, I don't care. Those, I'm, I'm those, those, those villains are the current government, and are the cuckoo funds, and are the vulture funds, and the REITs, and everyone else and that's involved in property. Well, the people who actually caused the crisis is people who have actually stopped all this development happening, um, and made it really hard for uh, developers to build houses. And... There will be people that say, well, it's good that they go through these reviews and everything gets scrutinized. And there is there is a sense that th- that is good. However, if you were to go as a developer and you were to go, okay, well, I want to build, I want to buy a site and I want to build X on it. If you know you're going to end up in court and it's going to take years to get there. Why bother? Why bother? And also, why take on all the risk? Because um, mm. there's huge risk associated with this. And every time you have to go into planning with these large developments, you're paying a lot of money in fees, a lot of money in fees. And the longer it goes on, the less it stacks up because you're paying interest on your loan that you've borrowed for the site. And eventually these things don't make sense anymore and until the price gets higher. Mm. And that comes down to affordability as well. My God, that's fucking... It, it, like my mind is fucked right now because <laughs> it's just so hard to keep up with that kind of thing. So, like, there are obviously people or companies, let's put it that way, that did at a certain point want to, like, bring up, like, more local developments and that mm. kind of thing. They just couldn't. Just can't, yeah. Because politics. Well, like, I, I know, like, like I, I know p- plenty of like, examples, but I know one personal example that, like, I looked at um, a site, bought the site, with, uh, bought the site, and there was, um, the, per- the client bought the site, and... They were going to do um, kind of student student accommodation, mm. and it fit into the development plan. It fit into the, the local the local plan. So it was like, yeah, this this works. Uh, plans were drawn up, and uh, went into the council. Sat down with the council, and they were like, "We really love the design. You've been re- re- really like um, sympathetic to the surrounding areas, and you're going to a great deal, a lot of detail in terms of making it sympathetic to the surrounding areas." It was in Dublin City. Um, but they were like, well, even though it says it's allowed within the development plan, we're not going to approve any uh, student accommodation or similar kind of accommodation now uh, on the basis that uh, if it's less than 100 beds. And this was a small development, which would have actually been nicer for students to live in yeah. or nicer for co-living scenario uh, for it to live in because it was only going to be about 12 beds. Yeah. And it was a nice kind of small bed, but they were like, we're not approving them unless it's 100 beds or more. And that was a rule that they decided to make up and uh, went in for planning permission and then had to, they made up that rule, we pulled pulled everything and then decided to go, okay, well, what do they want there? And then we, they told us what they would accept, went in for planning permission 
and then they decided to change the rules again. So we had to pull it again. That's that's an ongoing saga for two years. Yeah. And that's just one example of a site. That's Literally. happening all over all mm-hmm. over uh, the city. Yeah, like what is, honestly, sometimes whenever I look at student com- accommodation, I'm like, what the fuck is that? As in, they're charging 800 euros for a single bed. Yeah. And like, okay, fair enough. There's like a long table downstairs and there's like, neon colors <laughs> you know what i mean but it's one of those things where let's put it that way unless uh, uh, unless your parents are filthy fucking rich yeah. you are not paying like no 18 year old has 800 euros out of their pockets like no. ready to go every time like it's it's not making sense i'm not saying your body like it makes probably more sense to have less than 100 beds in a student accommodation I, I, right i i, I would have assumed if it was like six or seven beds so people can live there and be yeah. actually happier with like a small community. Exactly. Rather than a hundred people there. People are uh, going to be locking themselves in a fucking yeah, room. Yeah. Um, but obviously that's not the, if, if they want student accommodation, you have to have a hundred beds or minimum, which may, may doesn't make sense. Like it's me. like an orphanage instead. Yeah. I like, I suppose the student accommodation, a lot of it is aimed at probably foreign um, students coming in Um probably coming from countries where their parents would have been spending a hundred grand in their home country if they were staying in like a university in America or Canada or wherever Mm -hmm. else they might be coming from Um, and 800 a month and the college fees here is still a bargain for them. Um, then is it is it nearly again taking care of the foreigners first? Well, in that case, I think the, a lot of colleges are set up to take in foreigners because that's oh, that's sure. that's how they make that's how they make money. <laughs> yeah. um, they don't really make money off the Irish students, so they have to they have to actually take in foreign students to make money because um, the way our, our education system is set up, um, mm. and that's a detriment to the, the college as well because I kind of feel that like some colleges are massively underfunded in terms of what they should be doing um like just a a little side note so obviously foreign um within the eu though so i would have paid the same price as irish students obviously they weren't making enough money from me but (laughs) it was one of those things where it was supposed to be 30 people in our master's degree right you go up for your fucking first day and there's not 30 people there's 80 really 80 Five Irish, seven maybe, max. Two, you, uh, including me, three Europeans. Everyone else foreign. Everyone yeah. else was paying 14k plus. Yeah. And they doubled the intake of students. So like they went in from, it's supposed to be 30 people. You have to do this entrance exam and all this fucking shite out the window. Yeah. Uh, like I'm sure they had to do something, but they just doubled it. And lo and behold, it was a very tough year for the lecturers included they obviously had no control over this kind of thing but it was very fucking difficult to the point where my master's degree was without a thesis <laughs> it was a group project oh god <laughs> so but like but that's the problem like if you have a if you have a lecturer coming in at the start of the year or is on a salary on the basis that they're looking after 30 students and they're they're also marking uh, Literally. 30 papers and they're 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 re- reading 30 um theses like if you then go well actually now you have to read you now you have to do 80 you have to read 80 and you have to mark 80 like that's a different they're gonna put a di- you in a yeah, fucking yeah, group yeah, instead yeah, 100% yeah. would you think that like the chances of universities lobbying certain decisions like that 
on the on the back burner. I, I don't know. I I don't think they'd have to lobby. Like oh, even if they do, perhaps they do, but like I don't actually think they'd have to lobby because from an economical point of view, uh, having all these students in Dublin City, uh, going to bars, going to nightclubs, going to cafe shops, working in these locations as well, and being part of the city life helps the economy. So I don't think there's a much uh, like there are locations in uh, like let's just say America because I'm, I'm yeah. there at the moment. There are towns, entire towns, that live off the university. So there's so, like a, like a university can be what you would call a, a, an economic base. So like let's just say the IFSC, the tech companies down there are the economic base of that that location. There are cities in around the world that like the particularly in America that their economic base is the university because there's eighty or a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand students there every single year, and the town and the village only survives on the basis that they're there. So I don't think you'd have to lobby the government too hard to get more students into Dublin or get get them into another uh, city around Ireland because yeah. they bring life and they bring money to uh, that that community. So mm. that's good from a, an economic point of view. Okay. But you will have the consequences of there's more people here, so rents are going up and housing yeah. prices are going up as well. And it's also interesting because when I was doing like my research and stuff, probably like a massive like a massive concept that people started to bring up was the loss of community in Ireland, which I do understand not because I'm Irish, but because I'm European, where mm. we do share that kind of like little like community where you grow up with your neighbors and that sort of stuff. Is that being lost? Um, I think I think that's been lost all over the world. Um, oh. I think the age of technology, the age of uh, maybe perhaps new communities are going to come about about the metaverse or whatever. We're not. Let's not get into a conversation <laughs> with that at the moment. But um, I think it's a worldwide phenomenon thing, and I, I, I the probably the biggest reason that's happening worldwide is um, a, a religious point of view wow. there's less and less people going to church there's less and less people being involved in their local church or their local community which they would have seen as their community and they look they're losing that identity and they're trying to find new identities and perhaps those new identities are better because they're finding people who are more like-minded rather than being forced into a religion um but uh i i think that's going to take time for it to happen um i don't think that's a dublin issue i think that's a worldwide issue mm. um how do you make it happen? Like, I t- it's very hard to force something like that uh, from from just how you'd live or how you'd live from a property point of view. There are ways to do it or con- other countries have done it in terms of like having communal space and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that hasn't really kind of triggered any great communities in Ireland yet. Um, I think communities nowadays will be more like-minded people. They'll be mm. more like if they're into wellness or if they're into something else. I think communities will be, people will find community in that rather than where they live a, a little bit. But but schools and everything else will form communities with kids and stuff like that But um, and parents. But I think on a wider level, I think um, the sense of community is something people are don't have. A lot of people are missing. And um, I don't think property or how you build houses or design houses is the answer to that yeah like there's a everyone would have been part of a parish and part of a church and like there would have been a, a sense of community 
within Ireland to do with that. Over, but that's been lost over the last years, and mm. you can say that's a good or a bad thing for for lots of different reasons. Uh, but I think you're not going to solve that by how you design property or how you put property together. Um, Fair enough. I think that's a different. That's a different story. Story altogether. Yeah. Yeah, that people are just bringing in just for the yeah. sake of. When it comes to the design of properties, what's your opinion on that? Because people are not too happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose uh, design. Um, you can keep this in two sentences. It's fine. <laughs> like re- realistically, I would come down on the on sustainability. Like if you were to push me on like a, a, okay. a, a type of design, um, I I would come down on the, the side of sustainability, and that is, um, you cannot provide public transport, uh, in, hot, strong or good internet, uh, good school systems, good uh, in, good hospital services, good transport. You can't do that if everyone is spread out. And right now, Ireland is way too spread out. And the only way you can provide good public transport, good, uh, uh, I suppose, school networks and all these kind of things is if places are more densely populated. Whoa. Um, and I, I really think uh, places need to be more densely populated. Dublin is nowhere near as densely populated. And it, the only way it will get there is if you build up. And you have to build up pretty high in some key locations, perhaps in the Docklands. I think there's huge opportunities. There are huge losses of opportunities that some of the buildings aren't higher. Um, there is plenty of people that go, you can achieve high density with seven or eight story buildings like they do in Barcelona and other locations like that. And they have very high densities. But the problem is the average number of uh, units in, or average number of floors in these cities like Barcelona are eight stories or across, across the entire city. Mm. We walk out here, the average, the average house is a two story. There's plenty of bungalows as well in the city. There's thousands of them. So we're never going to get to that eight story block average. I see. Uh, unless we were to bulldoze thousands of mm. bungalows and two story buildings. And we're not going to do that. Yeah. And the only way to get to, to bring up the density is actually to allow uh, some fairly tall buildings within key locations within the city. That's such an interesting take. So I would come from a country that is severely densely populated and when you land in Malta airport or you go, all you're going to see are cranes literally all the way from one end to the fucking other and i hated it and probably everyone does so it's like it's in, I, I respect your take i understand it when it comes to a development mm-hmm. sense like it's a tough one right because i like the one thing that i don't understand right is when it comes in ireland is how People don't want to travel in the sense of if you are if you have a job in Dublin, the chances, the, the comfort in someone being like, oh, no, I'll live in Wicklow, I'll live in Kildare. They don't want to do that. And I, I'm guessing in like it is a public transport kind of thing. But like I my foreign brain goes, there's the dart. <laughs> like uh, coming from a densely populated country, I, I lived. At midnight, I could drive from my home to my university in seven minutes. Yeah. One hour and 45 in traffic, minimum. Because it's so dense. Because yeah, it's so dense yeah. and everyone is fucking driving. Yeah. Which, 
again, completely different country. It doesn't even need to be compared to, but it's just one of those things where it's not pedestrian either. If I walked it, I would have been fucking run over by the time I left the house. Um, but that's scary. L- like, I understand why it won't happen in the sense of like people are very protective over Ireland's charm. Mm-hmm. In my head, I thought the solution would have been better public transport to different counties where, like, how the fuck does the bus from Galway to Dublin take as long as the train from Galway to Dublin? I Yeah, the, tra- the train system needs to be upgraded massively. Yeah. Like, uh, it's vastly underinvested for the last, like, <laughs> 30 years. Yeah, like, yeah. I-, I thought that that would have been the solution where then someone could purchase, I don't know, a fucking house in a, a, a different county and mm-hmm. they can like it's a bit more affordable and then they just public transport in because there is like a, quite a heavy focus on dublin yeah but like i like i suppose you're making sense I, no, like, I, like I, I, I get you ireland needs to like realize that like i think when you try i travel a lot like yeah. um but ireland needs to realize it's a very small place um <laughs> It doesn't have the ability to have a, a bigger, like to, to have more than one major city. It just doesn't. Mm. In terms of the size of our population, it doesn't have the ability. Like, fine, we can have other cities in Cork, Galway, and Waterford, yeah, and Belfast, and whatever. But to have ma- one major um, city is probably all Ireland can actually really achieve in terms yeah. of our in terms of our population. Um, and to try like. The IDA do a great job in terms of attracting investment and companies into Ireland that are like tech, pharma, all that kind of stuff. They do a great job of attracting them in. But nearly every single one of them that they attract in, they show them Galway, they show them Cork, they show them uh, they show them down Leash, Offaly, wherever they, they, they'll show them. But they, they'll all just go, no, I want to be in Dublin. Because yeah. that's where I'll attract staff. That's where we're at the airport. Um, like they, they, there's a lot of things we, we'd have a mate we've one major airport um, and it's just I know there is other airports and there is other stuff but like there was a thing a few years ago about the, the national uh, what was it the national spatial strategy where they had designated all these hubs and like that just died to death because no one really no major companies wanted to go out there and if they did go out there they struggled to get the, the talent to go with them uh, that might change with like work from home and all that stuff. So there might be a change in the scenario. But then uh, the Irish government also decided to decentralise government uh, departments out of Dublin. And again, some went, some didn't. But it was such a struggle for them to do because not a lot of people wanted to go down to the middle of nowhere to work for the IDA or some other organisation. And um, I think it's important to remember like we are a small country uh ireland itself is smaller than most states in america that might only have one major city and i think it's it's kind of like having one major city where things focus on i'm from dublin so i'm perhaps being a bit selfish in this but or have invested interest and all that kind of stuff but like i don't think ireland can support like a major like more than one major city i completely agree with you on that it's just one of those things where like look as in Spain, Barcelona, Madrid, Italy, Rome, yeah. Milan, <laughs> America, literally, Texas, 
Los Angeles, New York. Yeah, and Miami's began. And to grow Miami, out. exactly. Um, but it's just one of those things where I understand why people hate on Dublin. It's easy to hate on the winner, like it is very easy. But you get it. For me, I just always thought it was a public transport issue where people can just move out and come in. There. Yeah, like I think. Um, but it's it works hand in hand. I yeah, think. Yeah, it works. It works in hand in hand. Like I think. When you have clusters like du- like Dublin, say, like in terms of over, like everything might change in the next few years yeah. with tech and the metaverse and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of how we've operated for thousands of years, generally you will have one location that is a key location for uh, health, for education and employment and for governance. Mm-hmm. That's all Dublin realistically at the moment. And um, while it is really important to have like regional lo- stuff out there, I think all the centers of excellence and everything probably should be focused on Dublin and transport should be focused on Dublin. Um, granted, there, there, it is a good idea to have uh, hubs and better transport links back into Dublin um, and perhaps we're all going to be very spread out in years to come because we won't need to live in, um, in clusters anymore. But if you look at history and you look at the human race and what we desire and mm. what we do, we cluster together. We get, I like, as I said, I maybe mentioned it to you beforehand, uh, but I, I get energy off being in a city the size of New York. I love being surrounded by people and you get energy out of that. Some people don't get energy. Some people like to be on their own, but like, I think you get energy. You, you, you come up with other ideas. You come up with lots of different things. And I think you come up with a lot of uh, ideas when people cluster together it's why like stock exchange companies and Bloomberg came out with open plan offices. It's why Google uh, put like uh, put canteens and gyms and everything else in their complex because they know people when people cluster together, better ideas and more innovation actually happens. Mm. Um, there is a famous kind of saying in terms of more ideas came out of Cambridge's or maybe it's Oxford's uh, canteen than it ever did in any of their uh, laboratories. Because when people came and discussed their problems in the Cambridge canteen, they were like, I've got it. Yeah. I, you, just by having that conversation face on face, we've solved the problem. And that happens in every industry. And I think that's why major cities perform way better than other cities because there's way more innovation happening because lots of people cluster together and ideas form. And it'll be in my mind, it'd be a shame if if everyone dissipated and spread across the country, and we were all in a metaverse. Because I don't think that will happen if that yeah. happens, if that happens. In fairness, like I completely agree with you on that. Considering the, the, the moment that I moved to Dublin and the moment that lockdown um, dropped, it it has been significantly easier to surround myself among people that want to do the same thing as me. In comparison to other places where it's been very, very difficult to just find your kind. Mm -hmm. I I can only imagine what it's like in New York where the chances of you just bumping into someone that could help you out are like endless, probably. Endless, Endless. When it comes to like, there's a few other things. We spoke about a shit ton of stuff, but the last thing is... So, not even social housing, right? But there's a massive argument right now where rent is so pricey that people that are in kind of like the lower class 
can't afford rent, mm-hmm. therefore are dependent on social housing, and therefore shit is not moving. Am I making sense over yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. What's your take on that? Um, so, I, I like. I think there will be a certain amount of population in every country that um, will need support from the government or will need support from its fellow people uh, to be out from, from a tax point of view or from whatever to oh, support them. Um, so there will always be a percentage of people that the government will need to house and support. Um, right now, perhaps that percentage is, is way bigger than it should be. Uh, because affordability uh, or because people can't afford to actually uh, buy a house or rent a house even if they're in a half decent job and I suppose the problem that is happening is there should be a certain amount of um, there should be a certain amount of state housing that happens and built and, and people have access to the problem is that in the last number of years the state has decided to Get the, their numbers of accommodation from the private from the private market. So a huge amount. I think the state rent about one hundred and eighty thousand units from the private market. If the state had their own housing stock to help people that needed it, those one hundred and eighty houses, um, one hundred and eighty thousand houses would be available for the open market for people who have normal jobs to actually buy. The state has also got involved in uh, renting out may- large uh, apartment complexes uh, from these vulture funds or uh, whatever you, way you want to call them. <laughs> so they have, they have. The state have also got involved in that. So the state have also started to rent them and buy them uh, off uh, the, on the open market. That means that means that us normal people or people in the market are not just competing, as you were kind of alluding to, with these vulture funds. We're, we're competing with the state itself. Wow. The state are competing with the individual uh, 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 owner or renter themselves, and they're driving up rents far quicker than anyone else is. Because if they stepped out of the market and just looked after the people that actually really need it and built or did whatever um, and stepped out of actually buying and renting from the private market, there'd be far more available stock for uh, individuals who actually want to buy and want to rent themselves. And I think that's a major issue that a lot of people kind of don't consider. And I think it's a it's an issue that the state will say, oh, we're, we're getting our numbers. We're, we're getting our numbers in terms of social housing or we're getting our, house, our, our numbers. But they're taking those from the private market. Mm. And they're making, they're, they're actually, <laughs> there's less stock available for the private market. And because there's less stock, uh, prices are going up because we're competing. The state are, the state are abs- absolutely competing with the private market. My God. Um, and that is something that shouldn't be happening. The fuck? Like, are there vacant properties? Like, are there not abandoned buildings, but, you know, like, really, like, sketchy, empty buildings? Yeah. Can't, can't they target those? Like, what's the market in Ireland for vacant buildings that are just abandoned? Well, so there's two, there'll be two different kind of categories there. There's, okay. if, if the council marks something as, like, derelict, it becomes derelict, and then there's a derelict tax associated with it. And then... Uh, when the person sells that property, there will be a, like a levy on them over the years that they'll have to pay the council. Uh, oh. The problem is if, if if the if the council mark a property is derelict, uh, you can't go in and start living in it. You'd have to go and get planning permission, a new planning permission 
to actually um, get the property to be not derelict anymore. And this, this can cause issues because say if you have a house that's a derelict house that's on a piece of land in say Dublin and it is it is there, it's derelict and you go, well, I want to go in and fix this up. I'll go in for get planning permission to fix this house up and you think there should be no problem. Yeah. The problem is that site could be zoned for residential and it may be zoned that you want to have 20 houses on that site. So therefore they'll go, no, we're not granting you planning permission for this. What we will grant planning permission for is for you to knock it down and build 20 houses. So there is there is that element of some derelict sites that you yeah. just won't get planning permission for reusing them. There is a there is an issue with kind of building life, uh, life cycles. So generally speaking, a building should last about 80 to 100 years, Okay. generally speaking. Uh, and that's the economic kind of life of a, of a property. And it will get to a certain point where it becomes more feasible to knock it down and build something else rather than actually trying to refurb it. Um, and that's that's a lot of the stock, particularly around Dublin City, that's that's where it might be. It might be not economical to refurb it. The most economical thing or viable thing to do is knock it and rebuild. Um, what you will find around Dublin City as well, which I, I've known, um, there is plenty of derelict buildings and there might be a handful of derelict buildings but what's going to happen is someone is trying to buy up those derelict buildings uh, to create like a much larger site and they might be missing one or two of the buildings and they're still trying to buy those. And that can take the guts. I've seen this is it's called site assembly and it can take years for someone to assemble a large site that might be like there might be accommodation for if someone was to refurb a handful of these units, there might be accommodation for 50 units say. Right. However, if you were to knock it all down, you might be putting four four hundred properties on on it. So, and that's the long term versus the short term. Yeah. So, a lot of the derelict properties you see, particularly around Dublin City, uh, there's probably someone behind it who has a much bigger plan for it rather than just refurbing it. So, would you nearly understand why people feel so hopeless in saying that it is fucked? Yeah, it is. It is <laughs> fucked. It's like there, there's like so many things going against. Like one, yeah, like it is actually like, against you. Yeah, it is against you. Like it's against you from from a number of points of view. So it's against you from the government competing with you. It's against you for because there is uh, you don't you can't actually borrow a huge amount because of the loan to value ratios, um, and in terms of your 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 three and a half times or four and a half times, it that restricts you in terms of what you can bo- you can borrow, but also. Um, the way it's the way our mortgage market is set up and the way our lending market is set up for developments um if a developer was to go and build housing they can get a loan to build those housing and sell them in phases that's why you see houses get getting sold in phases and the developer only has to draw down a certain amount of uh, cash or loan they sell the phase they pay off that loan they start again on phase two and phase three and they repeat themselves when they're building houses out However, when you're building apartments, there's no phases. You have to finish the whole block before yeah. you can sell any of them. And mortgages in Ireland won't let you actually um, buy off the plans anymore. So therefore, developers can't forward sell their apartments uh, before they start construction. So they can only sell them afterwards once they've built. So there's a huge capital right. expenditure there for developers and they don't know if they're ever going to get this more. It could, that could take them three three years to, from start to finish. To finish out a large block could, could take them three years. And they may not know what they're going to get in three years' time. The market could go up or down. And there's a huge risk for them. So therefore, a huge amount of apartments aren't getting built 
for owner occupiers. And that's why the market has opened itself because the banks won't lend to them. Yeah. So the banks will not lend to the end user and the banks won't lend to the developer. However, these bill to rent vulture funds, if you want to call them, uh, will come in and they will say, well, we will buy the finished product off you um, at this agreed price. So the developer can go in and go, I have sold this. I've sold the entire block and I haven't even started yet. And I have sold the entire block, turn around to a financial um, body and go, can I have the money to build? And I'm selling it for this and this is our profit and this is your percentage of how we pay your interest. And they, they will get funding and they I can see. start and build because they know they've sold it beforehand. So the developers are making the money now? The developers are making money if they sell it to these these larger funds, these build-to-rent funds, Crazy. these international build-to-rent, or sometimes Irish pension funds. But they, they've they already agreed a price in a lot of cases before they even start to build because you cannot phase an apartment complex because once you go and build the, the basement, you have to finish the roof. Yeah. You can't build <laughs> 10 and then another 10 and yeah. another 10. So, uh, banks aren't lending developers for that. Uh, you can't forward sell it. You can't sell off the plans. And therefore, the only way a lot of these uh, developments will get finance to start the construction is if they forward sell it to one of these built-to-rent um, uh, apartment complexes. And that's that's. that's so what, what the fuck does the average man or woman do? <sighs> like, genuinely, what... <laughs> what? <laughs> like... Um, uh, <laughs> So, so like I've been trying to think about this uh, like for a while, and I, I probably like you, you probably came across each other through social media, and I, I put out stuff on YouTube. But like I've been trying to think about this from a YouTube video for a while, and actually going, what the hell do you do? And I, like I haven't come up with an answer yet. But I think the one thing that I have been hovering around is um, our past generations or our parents' generation. Like, their all their wealth is in their property. Uh, in most of most cases, particularly within Irish families, most of their wealth is in uh, their family home. So they got their mortgage, they paid off their mortgage over the life of their working careers. Um, and perhaps they, some of them might have bought a second property, but most of their wealth is is tied up in uh, properties. And they didn't have the same opportunities as perhaps current generations had in terms of like, it was very hard to walk into Davies or Good Bodies and easily invest money into the stock exchange back um, past generations, or there was no such thing as having apps on your phone that you can invest in yeah. crypto or um, the stock exchange, or it's much cheaper to invest in the stock exchange now. And if you were to look at property prices over the last like 50 years across the world, average go up by 4% a year. And it's important that they go up by about 4% a year, particularly when the average uh, interest rate is around three percent, um, because if it doesn't ever, if it doesn't grow more than the interest rate, you're actually losing money on your property because you've paid more than at the end of it. So you could buy a property for four hundred thousand, and over the course of thirty years, you're spending roughly around eight hundred thousand on your property. So if it doesn't go up by four percent, you've probably lost money. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of thinking, what's the solution? The solution perhaps is because. The world is moving towards a subscription model, and that's in subscription models. I see that as a rental model as well. Like a huge amount of everything is going um, towards a subscription model and a rental model, and perhaps that is the what people are gonna. And a lot of people are end up gonna happen to face and not own a property, but 
perhaps there is alternatives there to create long-term wealth through investing in like if you were to look at the stock exchange over the last like um 50 years that's gone up by like 10 percent a year or eight percent a year so you'd actually have made if you had you'd actually have made way more money if you had been putting your extra cash into the stock exchange for the last 50 years versus holding a property for the last 50 years so it i think people perhaps need to start thinking about okay a lot of people in Ireland bought their property for their long-term wealth and owning and securing a property. It is a... And like a, fu- a home. A home. It's a fundamental thing. It is It yeah. is a fundamental thing. And perhaps if law, if more and more built-to-rent units come in and more more professional landlords come in, it might... More and more people will actually rent. And the more and more people actually rent, the more say they'll actually have. And they can turn around to their, their, uh, their local TD and go... Well, we want you to actually change the rules for these uh, rental properties, and we want security of tender, and we want to our rents to only go up by X percent a year, and this is what we want to be able to stay in these properties for forever if we have to, and come retirement there is some sort of oh. uh, flip in terms of rent. So there is, I think, the more renters there are, the more voice they will have in government, and they could perhaps use that to secure more. Um, more rights as a tenant um, and the more that they're there the more voice that they'll actually have against their TDs um, and these large funds like realistically they borrow at like zero or they borrow 1% as long as they make 2% a year they're kind of happy. happy so if that just keeps going that way perhaps they're happy because like if you look at Germany or even cities like Berlin like 80% of the population are renters there Mm. Um, so perhaps Dublin will I don't see it happen anytime soon but perhaps Dublin will eventually go that that way and particularly when everyone gets to this gig economy and you're not working for the same company anymore for your entire life and you move around a lot more people may not want to actually buy a property and have a massive mortgage on a property because that can tie a lot of people down and there is studies out there that a lot more entrepreneurial people like rent before they like rent a long time before they ever buy, because they have the flexibility and they don't have that. God, if I try this, I'll lose my. I could lose my whole home. Like if they try this, I go okay, I'll miss my. Mo- um, I might miss rent, but like I can go somewhere else if I have mm. to. But I suppose from an Irish point of view, there is a psyche there. We all want to own a property, and like yeah, like security, I, security, you know? and I get that. Like I, I, like I, ha- I have my own property, so I get that. Like um, yeah, and but in terms of advising people how to yeah how to win in this market, I think it's very difficult. Um, there is there's there's always like a good deal to be had, but yeah. like that's only a handful of people can I do that. The, the the population can't, and um. I think maybe you think of think of different ways of how you secure your long term your long term wealth. Like if you if you look at it and go, how well if we're in a an economy that we're moving around all the time, or we're in the metaverse, going well, how do I use that to my benefit? Do I buy somewhere cheaper, or do I rent somewhere cheaper? Or I see, yeah, yeah, because it's just one of those things that then look like realistically a single person, you know, like. You can't really determine when you're going to find a relationship or if you want to find a relationship. But it's one of those things that I don't um, everyone has their own story. But probably the older you get in your 20s, the more you want to find your own place, even if it's not your own property. Mm -hmm. 
at least find a place like where you're renting a studio. But those studios right now are like crazy like amount. So again, an affordability issue where it would be really unfortunate if we end up like, l- let's say you are right. And I completely agree with you with like figure out, listen, invest in crypto or do something mm-hmm. for your own money. Yeah. But like, it's also just one of those things where not if we end up in a completely like rental life, right, then and prices don't go down. How the fuck is someone that is um, unable to like invest in stocks? And there's always going to be people that are unable to do that. But how can they keep up? How can someone how can a family keep up in raising kids with in a three bedroom house that's costing them four grand a month? Yeah. You know, versus a mortgage. How, how much are mortgages well, right like, now? Well, like, so, like, yeah, in, in, in examples like that, like, your mortgage might be might be less. Yeah. yeah there, there is definitely a possibility that your mortgage might be less. Uh, but a lot, even if your monthly payments on your mortgage are, are less, you also do need to build in the fact that over the course of, like, a 20-year life cycle of a property, you might have to replace the roof, you might have to do mm. the kitchen, do the bathroom, uh, you're going to have to pay insurance, you're going to have to pay, like, the service charge or tax or whatever is on the property. And, and over the course of those 20 years, uh, if there wasn't, um, it, 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 there's not a, there may not be a huge disparity between the two. Right now, there's a massive disparity between the two because rental stock is so limited. But if rental stock was normal and there was a lot of it, the disparity between the two of them may not be, uh, may not be massive if, because... If rents were, were tied into some way of when you're staying there, it can only go up by a certain percentage and you have security of tender, which isn't quite happening in Ireland, but it is moving that direction. And um, perhaps more efforts need to be done towards that, that direction. And if you get more institutional landlords and more pension funds into the market, um, they'll lobby that they can obviously um, want to increase the rents yeah. as they want to. But if you get more and more renters, they're voters. They ca- they count more than a lobby group, but ultimately towards a TD's um, uh, career. So, I think uh, there there's opportunities perhaps to move towards that. I don't think it's a great model, but it <laughs> it to be honest with you, it's how the world is. It's how yeah. the powers of the world are actually pushing everyone to. I don't think it's a great way <laughs> that we're being pushed to. Yeah, uh, I'd prefer if everyone was able to just own their own house if they For wanted sure. to. Um, but I'm just looking at it. The reality of it. The reality mm. is the world is pushing that way and like there's there's that great reset and all that kind of stuff that's come out of the world economic forum like that is the the subscription lifestyle that is the the rental lifestyle that they they are ultimately pushing and Mm. the owners of the properties in in those scenarios will be the pension funds and the huge um the huge funds um, and us as individuals will be the renters and i say that like as in even even though I own my own property now, I'm looking at everything that's against me in the future for perhaps holding property or or also inheriting property. Um, it seems that inheritance tax uh, on your family home and everything else is going to continue to oh, go up. For fuck's sake, man. And, like... uh, the trend is that it's going to go up. So even if, even if you do inherit your family home, the, like I'm looking at my own family home, like the tax on this, I won't be able to afford the tax on this. Um, so I'll just be forced to sell it. Um, so there's not like, and I think there's lots of people in that scenario, and there doesn't seem to be any governments, or maybe per- perhaps any future governments that are going to 
look to address that. Like they're actually probably going to make it worse. Um, and I think a lot of people will be forced to sell their family homes uh, when if they're not living in their family homes and they're renting in a different city and they inherit something. The tax on that bit on that family home will could be far higher than someone will have cash to actually pay that bill and will be forced to sell it. And that's that's going to happen. And eventually, we'll all be renting. Yeah. Um, and I think Crazy. it's a scary situation, but and I don't know what stops that. Um, yeah. I know there's like people power and all that, but like even that, I don't even know how you stop that. Like, yeah, everyone rent, everyone tweet, <laughs> <laughs> maybe threaten your local yeah. TD, just be like, I won't vote for you if. Yeah. Uh, but if everyone was renting, then everyone has much better power in terms of how rental units are yeah. operated. Like I don't like talking about like social housing or, or, or government housing. Like I prefer much prefer to be able to live in a society where if I am able to buy a property, I am I can buy and move uh, move around as I see fit or where I want to go. I don't want to be in a situation or uh, a society that governs all the housing is governed by the state and you're you're told where to live or yeah. based on your situation and that's not the the future I'd want um I'd want the ability to be able to buy or live really? where I want exactly. rather rather than being put yeah. into state housing okay yeah that's fair enough I say all landlords should allow pets that's my rental. <laughs> I would. I, I would, just really want a dog. I would, I would 100% agree with that. I would 100% agree with that. Um, I just really want a dog. I, I, like, I, I honestly think that like eventually that may happen. Um, I think so, yeah. Like they're probably, like you could actually lobby some government to be right now who's a dog lover. And go, Don't lo- stress like. You can't discriminate against pet uh, yeah. owners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Obviously, they'll find land, some landlords will find a way. Oh, but, you, fuck yeah, them. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> there should be a rule of it. Okay, like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a exactly. Over, yeah. Oh my god, that that was a lot. Thank you so yeah. much for being on. I appreciate it. How do how do you find it? You basically told everyone you're fucked, and <laughs> <laughs> you told everyone you're fucked, and you're right for feeling hopeless. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. But do it's that. okay. I don't want. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't set it. Set across to do that. Um, but. Yeah, it's not um, it's not easy out there. It's not. But uh, but I would say every generation will have their own complaints about different yeah. things, and I I honestly don't think uh, we have it worse than our our parents' generation. Um, I, I agree. think I think we have more opportunities in different ways. In different ways. in different ways. Progress in different ways. No progress in some. Yeah, we've you gone backwards in some. Right. Yeah, we definitely gone backwards <laughs> we in have. some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we've made progress in others. But like, yeah, like. We've made massive progress in healthcare. We've made massive progress in lots of different tech and everything else that like Definitely. have changed our worlds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is there is some things that haven't moved in the right direction. Exactly. A little bit of perspective, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Shane, for joining me. No, thank you for inviting me. And thank you for listening. Dogger Days Collective.